Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Amen. Take your Bibles, open them to Romans chapter 7, Romans chapter 7, in a Bible study that I've entitled, Jesus Has Made Me Free. Can I get an amen on that? Jesus has made me free. And in chapter 7, we have what I call the confessions of an exhausted believer. And his name is Paul. Paul the Apostle, looking back on his own life, talking about his own past situation, the wrestlings, the struggles, how the law, even legalism for so many Christians today bound him tightly, frustrated him, all the rules, the regulations, the religious expression. He found, as we learn and study in chapter 7, that he was married to the law. And it was perfect. And it seemed to have no escape. But there was an escape, he mentioned, and that was death, not physically, but spiritually. And no longer married to the law now, we are married to Jesus Christ by faith, the one that fulfilled the law. That's the way to be released from the expectations and demands and perfections of the law, to place your faith in Jesus Christ, to die to yourself and to live to Christ. The way to be free from the demands of the law is to live the life of being a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And to live that in a daily expectation of God's work in your life, to enjoy it. And yet in the freedom from the law and the newness of life in Jesus, there's still a problem. All of us that live by faith in Jesus, we all face the same problem. And that's our flesh the carnality of our minds, the the reality of our humanity, that battle between the flesh and the spirit. Everything is tainted by sin. Even on our best days, we're imperfect. The best of the best of the best that we have to offer God is imperfect and tainted by sin. Oh, you know, we're not always living for the flesh, and that's good. We're not always living in the flesh. You know, when you live for the flesh, carnal living, also living according to your own thinking, when you think of the word flesh, when it's used spiritually in the Bible, it's not a reference to the skin on your bones, as we might refer to that as flesh. It's not a physical statement. The spiritual definition from the Bible for the word flesh is to live according to your own resources. It's literally the opposite of Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trusting in the Lord with all your heart, leaning not on your own understanding. When you and I lean on my own understanding, we are in the flesh. We are leaning and relying upon our own resources. As smart as we may be and as smart as we might become, we will never be as smart as God. And our resources and our abilities pale in comparison to the power of God. What, what man is unable to do in years of trying, God is able to do in a millisecond of time by his presence of the Holy Spirit. So when you think of the flesh, here's another phrase to remember when you're battling the flesh, when you hear that phrase. Think of it like this, your old sinful habit patterns. 
your old sinful habits. I've used this illustration before. If you're in the garage and you're using a hammer and pound down a nail and you hit your thumb really hard, your first response will give you a good idea of your flesh. Now, if you hit your thumb and go, oh, that was beautiful. I think I'll hit it again. We want to talk to you. Something's really wrong with you. (laughs) But even if it doesn't come out of your mouth, so perhaps you're very refined and you only say bad things in your head, you say bad things in your head. You may not be so refined and you blurt out something out of your mouth that you haven't heard come out of your mouth in 20 years. Why? Because you're in the flesh and it was a bad habit of your past. And guess what? Those patterns still exist in your life. When the Bible says that you're a new creation in Christ, it speaks to your spiritual life that's being renewed day by day. But your brain in your head is still the same old brain in your head. And God is refreshing and renewing, right? We're renewing our minds, we're growing in grace, but we have a battle with our flesh. And for those of us that got saved later in life, we have deeper set sinful habits. Now we may not be living in those sinful habits anymore. Praise God for that. That may not be the manner of our life, and nor should it be. But because it was a part of our past, It becomes a point of battle in what the Bible calls your flesh. So that when the spirit lusts against the flesh, you know, we understand the word lust. That word is used in the book of Galatians. We understand the word lust as a strong craving. And we almost always use the word lust when it comes into the realm of sexual sin, where you have a strong craving for sexual sin. But the word actually can be used to lust after a lot of things. And so when the, when the Bible uses the word, the spirit lusts against the flesh, against, it's really saying that there's a battle to who you will yield to in your life. Will it be the indwelling power of God in you, the spirit of God, who longs to please God, who longs to lead you in the paths of righteousness and purity, or will it be your own sinful habits? And recognizing that is very important. For Paul here in Romans 7, there was a season in his life where he did what I so often do, and that is go, under, go back underneath the law, underneath rules and regulations. Now, not necessarily for the sake of my salvation, but rules and regulations have a place of safety. And when you set up rules and regulations, you usually do it this way. You set up rules and spiritual rules and regulations. Let's, let me define it for you. If you say, I've had a bad week, so next week, or I've had a bad week up today, so starting tomorrow, I'm going to get up at 7 o'clock and I'm going to open my Bible and I'm going to take out my diary and I am going to be in my devos for exactly 15 minutes. On Friday, 20 minutes. On Saturday, 25 minutes. On Sunday, I'm going to get up extra early. Not only am I going to do my devos, but I'm going to come to church on top of that. And I might even stay after. And you start setting it up, but they're very meaningful, attainable goals so that when you do them, you feel good. So who doesn't feel good when you say, tomorrow I'm going to wake up in the morning, 7 o'clock, do my devos. What do you do? Wake up in the morning, 7 o'clock, do your devos. Oh, Oh, that felt good. I'm so right with God. Do you know if you wake up at 7.05 and forget your devos, God still loves you. He still cares for you. There's not lightning down from heaven that go, you devo skipper, what kind of... (laughs) But when you set up the law, when you set up a law for yourself, and you don't make it, 
The law condemns you and accuses you. And it uses your voice to do it. You didn't get up at seven o'clock. I know, I'm a horrible Christian. And then you make a mistake in the afternoon. You get mad at your kids. I'm a horrible mom. And then at work, you're like, oh, I'm a horrible employee. Why? Because you didn't keep your own rule? And you've set up a system that takes you away from the grace of God, enjoying him through the good and the bad. Paul is talking about that when he says, well, pick up with me in Romans 7. Let's listen to him in verse 14. As he's wrestling and giving us an insight of what it feels like, it might be your life, where he says, verse 14, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For what I'm doing, I don't understand. For what I will to do, that I don't practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it's good. But now it's no longer I who do it, but it's the sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. Have you guys underlined that yet in your Bible? Have you agreed with the word of God where you just know that in me, nothing good dwells? The good in my life comes from my relationship with Jesus Christ. And he's making you and me gooder and gooder every day. Developing us and pouring more of himself into us as we yield our lives to him. As we yield our lives to obedience through him. Nothing good in my flesh. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I can't find it. For the good that I will to do, I don't do. But the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now if I do what I will not to do, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Verse 24. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Verse four, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit, because to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. What the law was unable to do, God did. How? By sending Jesus Christ. What was the law unable to do? The law was unable to change you. Just like the mirror. The mirror is unable to change you. It does not have any power in and of itself to change what it reveals. And the law had no power to change a person. It simply reveals, just like law does today. Laws 
really don't speak to people that don't break the law. It's when you break the law that the law yells at you and says, you're a lawbreaker. And you go, well, wait a minute, what law did I break? That white, that black and white sign that said 25 miles an hour. Oh, I didn't see it. Well, I'm telling you about it now because I've got a little gun and I was pointing it at you and you were going 65. Well, what's wrong with 65? The law says 25. And the law now speaks. If you were going 25, the law wouldn't speak to you because you're not a lawbreaker. When you compare the sign to your speedometer, your speedometer matches the sign, there's comfort. There's no battle. But when the speedometer exceeds what the sign says, there's a great battle there. And, you know, thinking of it, uh, for those that may have broken the law quite a bit before they were saved, you're always looking over your shoulder when you're driving around. You're just always peeking around the corner. You're always checking things out. We, we didn't have Waze. We're on Waze. It has a little police officer icon on there. And even it says there's a hidden police officer, which I don't know how you say, how you put there is a hidden, because how are you going to see him if it's hidden? But they have it on there. We didn't have that kind of stuff growing up. We just had to take our chances and look around. But I'll tell you what, if we didn't break the law, we didn't care. If I didn't have a warrant out from my arrest, well, I can drive wherever I want. But if they're looking for me, that's a problem. I'm always looking over my shoulder. Now, those of you that didn't live a life of breaking the law, you feel the same way when it comes to the things of God. You see, when you're walking in the Spirit, enjoying God, the Bible is alive to you. Your life, the speedometer, matches the law, and you enjoy it. Oh, I just passed the sign, 25. I'm going 25. Dun, 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 dun. But then you get up and you got, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm speeding through life. I'm mad here. I'm upset there. And I'm reminded, the Bible says, be kind. And what is many people's response? It's not repentance. It's getting mad at the Bible or making an excuse of why I don't need to be kind because they deserved it. And then we take the place of God and write our own Bible. That happens many times. As you seek to, well, you understand what Paul was going through. He was struggling. He was wrestling. He's, he, he describes very much what we feel at times. The things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, I do. What is going on? The flesh. That's what's going on. Just reading through chapter 7 can make us exhausted. It reminds us of our own exhaustion. What am I doing? What has happened to me? What kind of Christian life is this? What is it to follow Jesus? I'm trying. I'm trying. Somebody just mentioned that to me recently, just flippantly. You know, I'm trying, and my automatic response came out. I said, no, there's no such thing as trying. Do it. I'm trying. It's like, no. No, trying is not doing. Trying is on this treadmill of life, not yielding and abiding. And then it gets frustrating. Then you don't like it. Then it's a battle. And the flesh, like, who's going to deliver me from this? And remember, in the midst of a struggle, in the midst of a struggle, remember this. Don't forget what Paul shares here. The key when you're struggling, and we all struggle, 
And although sometimes we bring it upon ourselves, sometimes struggling or battling an issue or an old sinful habit pattern, battling the flesh in our lives is a sign of life. And, and there's a very good, you know, if you share that you're struggling, there's a good, I would encourage you, that's a good sign. There's life, there's desire. But it gets exhausting because you can't win the battle in your own strength. You can't will yourself to win. You can't commit yourself. You can't, you, you can't read enough books and you can't listen to enough Bible studies. You can't read enough self-help. You can't do it. It's impossible. The Bible tells us it's impossible because the requirement from God is perfection. It's impossible. No matter, anyone listening to me right now that say, well, I don't agree with you, Pastor. I'm perfect. We all collectively really don't know who you are, but we know this. You're not perfect. And neither am I. And remember, the key in the struggle is not how do I get out of this. It's who will deliver me. How is the law? Who is grace? There's a big difference. We cry out. Too many Christians spend their lives asking how. Pastor, please tell me. Brother, please show me. Church, please tell me. How do I get over this? How do I get through this? How, how, how? But the real issue in your life isn't how, it's who. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Who will come to my rescue? As long as you live your Christian life and following Jesus, clinging to the how question, you're going to be spiritually exhausted. You'll be, and I'll be that wretched man. I understand there's a place of instruction. The Bible speaks of discipleship and Jesus taught. That's not what I'm referring to. I'm referring to that sense of what's the quick, what's the quick fix what steps do I need to follow? Give me the steps. And it would feel, I know that many people would walk out of this room. I know it for a fact that many people would come in on a service, wrestling and battling and fighting and wretched and tired and exhausted. And if I had a list in the pulpit here, I just had a stack of, you know, for this kind of problem, do these three things. This problem, do these four things. This problem, do this six things. I promise you, if I gave that sheet of paper to somebody, they would walk out that door relieved, but for the wrong reasons and only temporarily. Because in their hands, they would think that they have the solution to their problem. Follow these four steps. And they would be relieved, not because of their trust and faith in Jesus Christ, but they would be relieved because someone like me that teaches the Bible and has been around for a while, that they believe I know more than they do, gave them a list, and that gave them peace and comfort. But it's only temporary. Because as I mentioned earlier, as you work the list, you will fail. And that's the issue that law and the, the, the law and lists and rules and regulations cannot touch. It's only something that God can do in us by invigorating us. Give me the steps. Write out the manual. Show me the law. But it's the newness of the spirit, not the oldness of the letter, that brings life. The newness of the spirit of Christ is The newness of the Spirit is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's the new covenant. Who will deliver me? Well, Christ is in me, the hope of glory. 
day by day. I thank God through Christ Jesus. That's what he says in verse 25. I thank God through Christ Jesus our Lord. He's our deliverer. He lives in us and helps us from the inside. Something I can never do as a man of God and as a fellow brother and as a pastor and a servant to you. I can never help you from the inside. Never. That's not the realm that God has given to me. I can't help you from the inside. I can only point you to the one that does. I can only remind you of his presence. I can only help you see his strength. Do you know this is all throughout the Bible? This picture of God's strength and power. Let me show you a picture of it. Go back to Genesis chapter 6. And let me introduce you to a man by the name of Noah. Because Noah is a man. I love this. Go to Genesis chapter 6. Way back in the beginning. You know the grace of God. That scarlet thread of God's redemption through Jesus Christ. Is everywhere in the Bible. And check this out. This is so encouraging in Genesis chapter 6. Look at verse 8 with me. Again, mark your Bibles and don't forget this. Grace didn't show up in the New Testament. God is a God of grace. It's all it, from, from his, from the, in, in how time started with us, from the very beginning of creation, God was just demonstrating grace to us. And he says in verse 8, and let's read it, read it out loud. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Why was Noah, why was Noah preserved from the judgment of God through the flood? He was preserved the same way you and I are preserved, by grace through faith. It was a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Noah's a great example. He found grace in the eyes of God. The grace of God saved Noah and his family from destruction. Remember, as you know, in Genesis chapter 6, Noah was instructed to build an ark and given very specific instructions. It was to be gopher wood covered inside. Again, if you're still in Genesis, stay there and notice in Genesis 6, verse... Let me get there. Genesis 6, verse 14. Make yourself an uh, ark of gopher wood. Make the rooms in the ark and cover it inside and outside with pitch. Do you guys see that in your Bibles? Mark that word pitch and right next to it, kafar. K-A-P-H-A-R. It's the Hebrew word kafar. This is how he used to make it. And in the instructions of how to make this ark, we have a picture of the grace of God. It's interesting because this is the same, one, this is the same Hebrew word that's used for atonement. That technical word of God forgiving our sins, atonement. Atonement, the way you can remember that word whenever it comes up in your Bibles, is just to think of the word, break it down into what it sounds like. At one meant. The word atonement means that you and I are made one with God. We're brought into unity with God. That our sins have been forgiven and the wrath of God is no longer upon us. This word kafar is the word for atonement. So they were to build this wooden ark and they were to cover it with kafar, with pitch. The ark becomes a picture and a type of who? Jesus Christ. The ark is a picture of Jesus Christ. And the only way Noah and his family could be saved was to be inside the ark. That was the instruction. Get inside. Get inside. 
The ark, in, and the, the ark becomes a picture and a type of the atonement of Jesus Christ, the covering system. Noah and his family were told to go in. And the Bible says that the Lord shut the door. They didn't have to set up a pulley system. or they, all, God shut them in. And for 40 days and 40 nights, the judgment of God, the, water came, the waters came down and began to rise. But they're in the ark covered, protected, and safe. Aren't you glad that in the instruction, I think Noah is, that in the instruction to make the ark, aren't you glad that God didn't say, okay, Noah, the storms are coming and, and, and the floods are coming, the destruction, and you and your family, here, here's what I want you to do. I want you to build the ark and on either side, I want four pegs on this side and I want four pegs on that side and for 40 days and 40 nights, hang on for dear life. And if you hang on to the end, you'll be safe. But he didn't say that. Because it wasn't about Noah's ability to hold on to a peg in order to be saved from judgment. It wasn't about Noah's ability and his wife and his family to hold on for it. Oh, okay, I can do it. You know, because I want to be saved. Okay, whatever you say, God. And you're holding on for a couple hours and you're like, I don't think I can do this. And maybe you make it four hours. Maybe you make it six hours. Maybe some of you are super strong and you make it eight hours. But you're not going to make it 40 days. And even in making it eight hours, what have you accomplished? But showing yourself that you've got strength for about eight hours. But it wasn't enough strength because the first eight hours, it was just drops. There was no flood. It was just drops. It isn't. Our life isn't hanging on and holding on for dear life. It's get inside, I'll shut you in. You want to be free from your past, get inside and I'll shut you in, God says. The safest place for you and me to be is hidden in Christ. Isn't that what the Bible says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 3? For you died when Christ died and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. You're hidden. So many are trying to hold on and hold out to stay away from sin. And you might ask them. They don't realize, you may not realize when you're saying this, but you, you hear the vernacular. It's, it's typical stuff. So how are you doing today? Hanging in there. Really? So you're hanging on to the pegs outside the ark. What? What are you talking about, man? I'm just barely making it. I'm hanging in there. Oh, so you're hanging in there. And it's really a reflection of, man, I'm just about ready to give in. I'm barely making it. And, and you're tempted at times, aren't you? Just like, well, to just let go. No, I can't let go. No, let go. No, man, I'm barely, if I let go, I won't be able to hang in there. That's the point. Because when we use that vernacular, whether we mean it in a spiritual way or not, sometimes we don't, but sometimes we do, the reality is for the Christian, it's not about you and me hanging in there. It's about the firm grip of God upon your life. That even if you were to let go, though a man falls seven times, he'll, fall, he'll rise again. It's the faithfulness of God. When chapter 8 opens up, there is therefore now no condemnation where? In Christ. That's where freedom from your past comes. To be in Him and the freshness of His work. When the Father looks at you and me, He doesn't see us with all our failures and faults. He doesn't see us, although He does see everything about us, He sees us in Christ. Not only does Jesus come to live in you, but you're also put in him. You're covered both ways. What great freedom there is, according to verse 
two now of the freedom of the law of the spirit of life. The spirit of life. What great freedom there is. There's this spirit of life in Christ. What is the spirit of life in Christ? It starts with a capital G. It's called the gospel. The gospel is the freedom of the spirit of life. The gospel, the good news. The gospel. You see, what the law wasn't able to do, what, we know that the law wasn't done away with because we need to have the law to understand our need. So the law wasn't done away with. It's still doing its job. It's holy, it's just, and it's good. But in Christ, you're no longer bound to it. You're under the, we're under the law of the spirit of life. He set us free from the law of sin and death. It's, he's, not only does the law reveal to us now where to go, but Jesus empowers us from the inside out. The law, remember, has a lot of different definitions. It could be, it could be a reference to the Ten Commandments. It could be a reference to the first five books of the Old Testament that's known as the Torah. Sometimes it's referred to the Mosaic Covenant. Uh, it's the, the, the reality of God's demands upon our life, his teachings and instructions to the Jewish people revealing his desire for their purity. And all the, law does, all the law says to us over and over again is that you're a sinner, you're a sinner, and you must surely die. That, that's the root of the law. The law says when you sin, you die. That's the law. The, the law of sin and death is like the law of gravity. As we walk through the terminal over at DIA, we'd see plane after plane sitting there, parked, why? Because they're held down by gravity. Or there is a massive delay and they haven't taken off yet. But even then, it's gravity holding that plane back. Besides, there isn't any pilot or any uh, crew to fly the plane. Gravity's there. I'm not speaking anything personal, but I just saw the receipt from the time we went to the airport and had to go home. We were there 12 hours and had to go home. I'm not, I'm free from my past. The planes there are held down by gravity. But just in a few minutes, as they push that plane back, they'll be in flight. Why? Because a new law will take place. A new law. The laws of aerodynamics with thrust and lift. I mean, laws that I personally don't even understand, but I trust them all the time. But with the new law of aerodynamics and thrust and lift, does that mean the law of gravity goes away? No, it still has its job and still works perfectly. So too with the law of God. Grace supersedes the law of God, but the law of God still has its place and its purpose. There's always that higher law that will release just like that plane from the law of gravity. So it is in Jesus Christ. Lifted up above the gravity of the law of sin and death, we are free to live for Jesus by faith. Remember they came to Jesus, they asked him this question. What shall we do that we may work the works of God? That's a common question asked today. Give us something to do, Jesus. Tell us how we're doing it wrong. We're tethered to the law, motivated to do it, striving to attain it, working hard for God to please him. And Jesus answers, this is John chapter 6, verses 28 and 29. They came and asked him, what must we do to do the works of God? And listen carefully to the answer. Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God, that you 
believe in him that he sent. We are free, not by working hard or doing more or following rules and regulations or by dressing right or by having the right language or having our perfect devotions or reading through the Bible a million times. It's by faith. We are made free by faith. The spirit of life that lives in me draws me above and away from the law of sin and death. And yet it still exists to reveal to me at any time my failure, but I'm not bound to it any longer. Notice, I love verse 3 as we wind down here. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. And remember, let's just clarify, what the law could not do was give you life, give you power. The law had no ability in and of itself to forgive It could only point you to the ordinances by which God would honor and he forgave because it's not a law and it's not a rule that sets us free and forgives us. Forgiveness only comes from God through Jesus Christ. That's the only way it comes. And so when you see that what the law couldn't do, God did. How? By sending Jesus Christ to die for you and me. To live by the grace of God sets you free from the past. It gives you freedom. The law, the Ten Commandments, the Torah, the rules, they were weak because they couldn't change my flesh. My inability to keep the law showed its weakness. It couldn't change me from the inside out. I couldn't follow enough rules and lists. I couldn't read enough books to make me right with God. You know, you can write out your goals if you're still unconvinced. You can still write out your goals on little three by five cards, post them all over your house. That's great and that's good. But all you will find every time you see those cards is your weakness and inability to follow them. Because if you had the strength to follow them, you wouldn't need a reminder on the mirror. Are you guys with me? It's good to be reminded. That's not the issue. But every time we need to be reminded, all it does is reveal our weakness. That's all. It's just like, I can't remember everything. It shows my weakness, not my strength. And even if on one of those three five by five cards, you memorize it, you've got it on your, everywhere you go, it's on the milk, it's on the cheese, it's on your car, it's on your shoes, everywhere. And it's, you wrote this out, I will be a good person today. The best person I could ever be what a burden you have placed on yourself and you go why why isn't isn't it good good to be good isn't it good to be best every day that little goal every day you have to be better than the last or you have failed your card like if Monday's your best day and you wake up on Tuesday and says this will be my best day However good you were Monday, you're going to have to be better on Tuesday. And so you hit it on Tuesday. I'm really good. But then let's say on Tuesday you set the bar, on Monday to start out your New Year's resolution, you set the bar so low so you can hit it. But now you feel guilty about that because you know that wasn't your best day. And the way we set up rules and regulations, whether you admit it or not, consider it before the Lord. You will always set up your rules and regulations so that you can do them, but others can't. 
And you add, How do you, what do you mean? Well, let me, let me put it this way. Haven't you noticed yet in your relationship with God that your sin looks really bad in someone else's life? I can't believe she's, and oh, and the Lord's always saying, isn't that so interesting? That's all you ever notice. Isn't that, yeah, I know, I'm just, that's my gift. I find that sin everywhere. Oh, right. It's my gift. I'm the sin-sniffing Pharisee, you know? And you're just walking around the church, sin over there, pastor, sin over there, pastor. But then over time, God reveals to you, you know what? That's actually, that's actually something I want you to deal with in your life. Oh, no, 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 no. No, that's actually an area in your life. That's something that is reflected. Uh, you're seeing it in others because I'm showing it to you. I want you to see it because as you're angry, and you know, this isn't, there's an example of this in the Bible. You remember his name was David. David's friend came to him with a story. And as the story unfolded, it was a great injustice. You know, the little ewe lamb, lamb and taking it. And, and David just got so incensed. And what did he pronounce on that story? Death. The death penalty wasn't even appropriate for the crime. You know, give him back a couple lambs, maybe two or three, I forget. But it wasn't even appropriate. But what was on David's mind? The death penalty. Why? Because he's a murderer. You see, the law doesn't bring you freedom. Only Jesus Christ, what the law was weak in doing in its inability, God did. And by faith in Jesus Christ, freedom is yours. God did by sending his own son. And by faith in him, you fulfill all the requirements of the law. Let me end here and go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And let's just look for briefly. You see, you want to be free from your past, you need to be in Christ. The place of freedom is by faith in Jesus Christ. He does the work. He empowers. He helps. He strengthens. He gives the ability. He gives, the, he gives it all. He gives the command and the power to, to fulfill it. And so notice with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Pick up with me in verse 6, would you? Where it speaks of, well, really pick up in verse 4 for the sake of the context. And we have such trust through Christ toward God, not that we're sufficient of ourselves to think anything of being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. That's the language of grace. The language of grace is there is no, I have nothing to offer. My sufficiency is in Christ. It's from God. He's made us, notice, sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills but the Spirit gives life. But if the ministry of death, written and engraved on stones, was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect, because of the glory that excels. For what, if what was passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. So let me walk you through. The old covenant is the law of sin and death. The new covenant is the law of spirit and life. 
The old covenant is the ministry of death, but the new is the ministry of life. The old covenant was written on stones. It was external. It was demanding. It had this external outward change and conformity to a list. But the new covenant is actually written on hearts, promised in Jeremiah chapter 31, Exodus, or Ezekiel 36. It was promised that God would do a work on the hearts of men. It's a change of our nature. We have a new nature. It's an internal change. Where now I desire to do the will of God, I don't desire to follow a list or some outward list of change. You know, the, the, it, doesn't, it doesn't make you any more righteous, ladies, if you cover your ankles. And you go, what do you mean? There's a whole system of theology that the way you dress makes you more spiritual. The Bible speaks of modesty for men and women, for sure. But whether you cover your ankles or not, ladies, you're fine. It's fine. Oh, I got, and so some, somebody's, I got freedom, I got freedom. You know, it's like, it's, you've always had it. Enjoy it. The externals is not what God is looking for. It's the internal work of his spirit. The old covenant, covenant notice was temporary. Its glory faded away. But the new covenant is eternal in glory and righteousness. The old covenant was condemnation, but the new covenant gives justification in the forgiveness of sins. How are we set free from the past? We are reminded that God has released us from the law, set free so that God dwells in us and we're able to live because here's the thing, and we'll just break it down. Your inability to let go of the past is a reflection of your own human effort. And you have subjected yourself to the law of sin and death. But when you choose to obey God and release yourself to the law of, of spirit and life, you are instantly free. Now you may go back, and you gotta be free again. And you may go back, you gotta be free again. You may go back, but that's what chapter seven's all about, isn't it? Where do you wanna live, Christian? Chapter seven of Romans? Or chapter 8. You see, that's why 7 comes before 8. Because you want to be in 7 and be released in 8. Go home and read the book of Romans. Read it all the way through. And notice the progression of victory and joy and, and just life that comes when you get all the way to the end. The promises of God. You know, when we emphasize the promises of God, which are great and wonderful, let us emphasize the promises of God secondarily to the God who keeps his promises. Right? Our faith is in his ability to keep his promise, not our ability to remember them. Our, our faith is in the God who gives power, not our ability to submit to it. Our faith is in the God who does the work, not, in our, not even in our ability to recognize it. Do you know that God does a lot more in your life that you don't even recognize? but he still loves you. Aren't you glad you're not saved by recognizing everything that God does? All the things he's doing that he hasn't even revealed to you yet. Your faith is in God. Not what he does, not what he gives, but in who he is. The promises of God tie us to the character and the nature of God and who he is. That's where life is. Life is found in Jesus Christ and it's conveyed to us from the inside out. Grace is amazing. A few minutes Bible study doesn't even plumb the depths of the power of God in your life. 
But I pray that tonight God will set you free. That you'll recognize it's not your own effort. When we try to do things on our own effort, we make things worse, not better. And we delay the enjoyment of the very presence of God in our lives. And so, Father, we want to be free tonight. We want to be free from the law of sin and death. And by faith, we know we are, but we want to be free from living in chapter 7, this constant cycle of back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, when all the while you promise us rest. Oh, yes, Lord, there are actions and activities from our life. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, yeah, we want to match all of your commandments with obedience. Yes, but not in our own strength not in our own ability, not in our own, you know, just in our own mind thinking that we've done it right or done it wrong. We want to do it by faith. We want to trust that you're our empowerment, that you have done what you said you've done and that you are doing what you said you're doing and you will do what you said you'll do. We want to match every challenge with faith and trust. We want to match every challenge with a renewed mind Change our minds, God. Change our beliefs that we might believe the truth and resist the lies. And I pray just freedom that will come to those listening into this series. Freedom that will come as they learn grace. Freedom that comes, Lord, as we surrender our lives to you. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.